Hey y'all, and welcome to Pain in the Pod. This week I have my buddy Doug Buden from uh, Radio Andy on to talk about one of the best podcasts of all time, S-Town. S-Town was an amazing podcast that was out about two years ago and has really never left the top 100. I've tried to get the guy that did S-Town on. I tried to get him on about a year ago, but he's moved on to other projects. As you can imagine, it probably... uh, took a lot out of him if you've heard the podcast S-Town. So take a listen to my interview with Doug Beaton. And don't forget to go on over to Patreon if you want to support the podcast. It's a great and easy way to support me. That's patreon.com slash pain in the pod. And one more thing, if you guys could leave me a five-star review, just click at the bottom, five stars. If you want to write something, that's great too. It's another great way to support the podcast. But for today, enjoy this interview well, more like a chat with Doug Beaton about S-Town. Thanks. My laptop is like eight years old. And every time my producer Richard sees it, he's like, seriously, what's happening? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, it's a MacBook Air. He was like, there's no air about yeah. it. <laughs> I'm just like trying to chug it out to the end of the year. And maybe I'll get like a Black Friday deal. <sighs> what are you doing? I'm so shiny. I don't normally look at myself. I know what I don't look at myself either. Okay, so I li- I finished listening to S Town today for the second time. Like I finished it up because I kind of started it. Yeah, and it's so interesting listening to it the second time around. Did you listen to it the second second time no, around? No, I only listened to it once, like recently or a while yeah, back. No, I listened to the last episode maybe Sunday. Oh, okay. I finished so you it had on not Sunday. you had not listened to it before. No. Oh, so you didn't, so it's, I mean, it came out in 2017. I know, but I, I had yeah. heard of it but right. until you were like, Hey, do you want to listen to this? And I thought, Oh yeah, people have talked about this. Let me listen to it. Oh my gosh. Oh okay. yeah. All right. All right. So we'll get started here and. All right. Listen, I'm going with the flow. You do you. I know. I know you're easy. Okay. You know what I mean? Not easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, okay. I am easy. <laughs> uh, I respect it. Okay. So the intro of S-Town as it appears on the stownpodcast.com, which is a, it's a good website, but there's many more that give a lot more details. Um, the intro says, John despises his Alabama town and decides to do something about it. He asks a reporter to investigate the son of a wealthy family who's allegedly been bragging that he got away with murder. But then someone else ends up dead, sparking a nasty feud, a hunt for hidden treasure, and an unearthing of the mysteries of one man's life. So S-Town is a podcast that's been out since 2017. So if anyone has not listened to S-Town, seriously, Don't listen any further to this. Cut it off. Listen to S-Town and come back because we're going to start right off with all the spoilers because there's a lot to unpack here. So if you haven't cut it off, here's your last chance. (laughs) Yeah. And and their pain is being, is this is for real. Don't listen, but do listen to S-Town and then listen to this. So I'm here with Doug, by the way. I forgot to introduce you, Doug. Oh, hi. hi, Doug. Hi. Doug, my buddy, Doug Buden, is here to discuss this with me. And Doug, the more I was listening to it, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I, there's so much here that I want to talk to Doug about because I think you're going to have so many opinions. So John B. McLemore, the the subject of this podcast, died in 2015. This podcast came out in 2017. Since the podcast has come out, the podcast has won a Peabody Award and it's been optioned for a film. It was optioned for a film in 2018 by the director of Spotlight, Tom McCarthy. Um, I went and looked it up 
and nothing is, had been done about it under Tom McCarthy's IMDb. He's currently working on another film involving Oklahoma to France kidnapping with Matt Damon. So it's not, that's not this story. Um, this podcast, since it came out in 2017, has been within the top five for two years. So currently it's still in the top 200. It's at 162 as of today. Wow. This podcast has been out for over two years now. I mean, that's unprecedented. It's like Serial. So it was done by the same people that did Serial. Which I, which I okay. did listen to season one of Serial. And I was I almost missed a flight when I was listening to Serial because I was so in it. And that my yeah. flight was boarding and I hadn't noticed that the flight was boarding. And so I just, I sat there at the gate and then I was, I was like, oh shit, my, my plane's going to leave. So these producers, they know their shit. They are good at putting these Real together. Good. It's because they come from um, This American Life, you know, in NPR. Mm-hmm. So that is where Brian Reed, the reporter that... John McLemore got in touch with. So I want to go through this. I'm going to go through the whole podcast through the chapters. And so it's, I, I, you know, the w- once I've listened, I listened to it twice, I was like, oh, the titles of the chapters, the um, each episode is interesting what they chose to title them. So the, the title of chapter one is, if you keep your mouth shut, you'll be surprised what you can learn. And that's something that John B. McLemore said to Brian Reed. So initially it starts out, John B. McLemore sends Brian Reed, uh, this American Life reporter, he sends him a email. And it's like, I got to tell you about this town I live in. It's full of corruption. It's all these horrible people. There's been a murder. Nobody's talking about it. Like, can you come down here and investigate this horrible murder that occurred? Right? And so Brian Reed's like, all right, sure. So he hops the plane, goes to Woodstock, Alabama, and finds out that kind of right away that there was no murder, that the kid didn't die, and that the guy who's the son of the lumber yard owner. The KKK John, initials, right? The, the, the K3. <laughs> K3. The K3. Yeah. Totally unironically, the K3. <laughs> um, that that son who John B. sees as like privilege and all this, that he'd gotten away with murdering this guy like at a party and everybody saw it. Turns out the guy didn't die. And, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't the story. So what's interesting to me is that John B. kind of lived out in the woods and he and he brings his reporter out there and nobody can find his house. And for, to be so in touch and so smart, he literally had like internet that somebody had given him an old computer, like he didn't have a TV. It, it The juxtaposition of how he had like just heard it around town about this murder, but like didn't just like Google it up to find out it wasn't even true. Well, I- I actually, I thought there was a little sort of misinformation because the um, our guy, what, what's the reporter's name, Brian? Brian Reed, Brian, yeah. He actually tried to get information. And if you remember, there were some stories like nobody had seen this guy since. So when he arrived in the town, it, it didn't seem like a far-fetched story that this somebody was murdered, that it was the, a son of a prominent townsperson had murdered this kid because... People remember people in the store were like, oh, I heard the owner of the lumber yard saying, oh, my kid's all fucked up and whatever it was. Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Somebody heard him it didn't, he, it, like on the phone. It, yeah. it, there were things happening that supported the tale that this prominent kid killed somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Because it was all like, I was at the front of the store waiting and I heard him saying on the phone, mm-hmm. like my kid did it this time right, or you right, know, something. Exactly. 
Um, it supported so he, the narrative, as we would say. <laughs> so he, so Brian Reed goes to the town, and what he discovers is really the story is this guy, John B. Mackamore. He's such an eccentric, and he lives out way out in the woods, one hundred and. 27 acres or something, lives with his mom who's got dementia, just adopts all these dogs, and um, clearly is some sort of mechanical genius, can fix clocks, can fix anything. Oh, by the way, just to to tangent, a teeny tangent, do you know what a, uh, the person who winds clocks, do you know what that position is called? Clock winder. It's a fender smith. A fender smith? Mm -hmm. Windsor Castle employs a full-time fender smith. Really? Mm-hmm. Just saying. Okay, back okay. back to S Town. <laughs> uh, John B. McLemore would have known that. I'm sure. Oh, he would have. <laughs> yeah, because he was a horologist, That's someone right. who studied time. Mm-hmm. And this um, guy was fascinating. I mean, fascinating. what a character this guy was, right? So interesting. So Brian Reed goes out there. And he's investigating this crime that turns out not to be a crime. And, and you know, he just interviews a few people in town and then goes directly to the K3 lumberyard. And finds out that there there wasn't a murder, but, you know, yeah, there was a shady shit that went on at a party or whatever. So he starts talking to John B. more and more and is just kind of fascinated by him, particularly. And then by his friend Tyler, who's out there all the time. It was a little um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the relationship between John B. McElmore and Tyler. And there was a a few other guys. I mean, there was like... um, a real power dynamic difference, a power, you know, you know, these are all people who worked for John and, and he sort of, yeah. you know, there was some potential sexual uh, interest and, and stuff like that. But yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're right. It was a little bit of the haves and the have nots, right? Mm-hmm. It was a little bit like John didn't live like wealthy. He just. No, he had dirty ha- clothes. Yeah, dirty clothes and land and property. And a maze. I mean, how many poor people do you know that have a maze that they built out of hedges? It was like a Harry Potter thing. It's the coolest thing. And I sent you an article. I saw. Oh, yes. Have you seen the pictures of the maze? And and everybody who's listening, um, while you listen, you could even go in front of your computer and you can see some pictures of the people that Mary Payne and I are talking about. Because it, it, first of all, I didn't see these pictures until after I listened to the whole podcast. and Which is good. I got to say, because, yeah, because he didn't look like what I imagined him to look like. Um, but the maze actually did look like what I imagined it to look like. So they paint a very good picture of the maze in the uh, podcast. But Wasn't it beautiful, uh, the maze and, that he built? And I want to just give one quick shout out to the music that is used yeah. in this podcast, which I have since downloaded the main wow. theme and listened to it several times. There is some gorgeous music used, original music used in this podcast that um, is is haunting and super um, Southern sounding to this Yankee um, and soulful, gorgeous music. Yeah, beautiful beautiful music. And so the, the episode one is Brian Reed going there and he's getting to know him and he, you know, finds out like, Oh, well uh, now I'm here. I may as well get to know this guy. This other thing didn't happen or, you know, and this town, maybe there's some corruption or whatever. So he's sort of hedging around that, but then he starts to really talk about how he begun this friendship with John McLemore and how John B would 
email him and he would email back and, you know, mostly about John B. railing about the town and railing about climate change and uh, all these things he was very passionate about. He was really, um, really upset about climate change. That that seems to be something that really upsets him. Yeah. And we come to find out later, he sort of has a little bit of this obsessive personality. We kind of come to find out why. But it's interesting to me that they titled chapter one, if you keep your mouth shut, you'll be surprised what you can learn, which is sort of opposite of how John B. was. Because oh, he kind of like, never quit talking. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I only thought about it like what he learned because the the people who were, he, he says he talked to about this murder, they were so open and free over a Domino's pizza to sort of spill the beans, you know, about this murder. But you're absolutely right. John, like myself, never shut up rambling, rambling, rambling. He, you know, he the kind, kind of person who like writes a manifesto. Like, you know, mm-hmm. who does that? He just, and, and, and along the way, we see that he pushes out friends, possible lovers, uh, people that he sees as his children, really, because of his ranting and his uh, inability to kind of control, you know, his rants. And so that that was interesting to me as, and I wonder, you know, if Brian Reed would not talk to me, but if he did, I would ask him if that was on purpose. When we first started this podcast last year, uh, my producer had me write a list of what would be your, like, dream guest, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them I've gotten on, but one of them was Brian Reed of S-Town. And when I first wrote to him and said, you know, I would love to interview you, I got an email back from the press person that said, you know, we really appreciate this, but it's the podcast has now been out a year and a half and Brian has moved on to other projects. Right. And I right. was like, well, fine. I mean, <laughs> I was like, but you know, I think that because it was so... Uh, like cereal, like just like a boom. It was so popular and so all entrenching that is entrenching a word. He was all entrenched in it. Yeah, he was consumed. He was consumed. They're probably now at this point, he's like, I don't want to do any more press about it. And also the fact that there was legal action taken against him, against NPR, against the production company. Um, I have a feeling that he is unable to speak about certain things because the are we can we give away the spoiler about where John B Macklemore is now are we, are we yes to, <laughs> we're right, we're getting so, to that yeah okay here we go John B Macklemore John yeah dead okay so his ultimately his estate sued the producers of the podcast and I don't even remember how the lawsuit ended. But um, it's only within the last year that they sued the estate and it went to court and moved forward um, because they are accused the production and and Brian, the the narrator, of revealing information expressly against the wishes that of John B. McLemore. And so they he had said things to Brian like this is off the record or I don't want to talk about this. And it was all the sexual stuff. And we all heard it. And so the estate sued NPR. And so I'm sure that Brian had to be very careful about what he says and to whom he says whatever he says. Did you know about that? You're looking uh, No, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, I did not. Yeah. I mean, I knew of all the various lawsuits flying around, mm-hmm. but I did not know that the estate had sued Brian and NPR. Yeah. Because of the, I guess, because of the sex stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to the sex stuff in a second. So chapter two 
the title of this chapter is, Has Anybody Called You? Mm-hmm. Now, this is twofold. It means at the end at the end of chapter two, when we're learning all about John B., uh, Tyler's sister, I think, calls Brian and says, has anybody called you? John B. has killed himself. That's the very end of chapter two. I was in shock when that happened because, of course, you think that all, I think it was six episodes or seven episodes, seven episodes. Mm-hmm. You think all seven episodes are going to be a story about this guy, John. You thought it was going to be about a murder. Then you're like, oh, no, it's really going to be about this guy, John. And then at the end of the episode, he kills himself. And I, I, I had to look at my phone and think, are there really five more episodes? What the hell I is know. this going to be about? I know. But oh my God, that I was so invested. I was so upset that he killed himself. Well, what was interesting to me, because like I told you, I listened to it when it first came out and then I listened yeah. to it again in preparation for this. I heard it completely differently this time since I knew what would happen. Right. And in my mind, when I listened to it the first time, this death happened almost right at the end. And then we had just a little bit about the fighting over the estate, but really it happens almost right at the beginning. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I heard it differently the second time. And I thought what was ironic about the chapter of this title, if you, um, has anybody called you was, that's what she says at the very end of the episode, has anybody called you? Right. But calling and being on the phone, has anybody called you? Calling and being on the phone is such a central part of John B's life. He spends so many hours a day on the phone mm-hmm. and, you know, you think like, God, I hope he had free long distance. Um, <laughs> because, you know, in the middle of Alabama, he oh, had yeah. a landline, you know? Um, I have a landline. Me too, Doug, mm-hmm. you and I, we're the same. <laughs> we're the holdouts. We're the same. Um, I'll tell you a sidebar. I was recently in Wisconsin with my friend, Aaron, who I do another podcast with. Mm-hmm. We were doing a little podcast meetup and, uh, her car broke down on our way home. It was cold. We're in Wisconsin and her car breaks down. So she calls her husband. He's like, fine, I'll be there. What do I do about the kid that's asleep? And she was like, well, try to wake her up and bring her with you. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. So he gets over there. He's like, I couldn't wake her up. She's fine. You know, the house is locked, whatever. And so I said, well, I mean, if she woke up, she would just, she knows how to call you guys. Right. And they were like, how would she call us? We both have our cell phones. I was like, you don't have a landline in your house. And they were like, no, but like, my sister does it like a lot of people don't. Yeah, people don't have them anymore. Um, that's a sidebar. I still use my Snoopy phone that I got when I was 13 years no, old. No, you don't. I, st- I still have my Snoopy phone. Works like a dream. <laughs> it really, it's true. It's a push-button phone. Works. I was so jealous of, the, of my friends that had like the pink phone that was like a circle. So when you uh, picked it up, you I just had the semicircle. You were referring to the princess phone. Was that the princess phone? Yeah, it's called a princess. Well, I didn't have that. So, mm. rip. Mm. Okay. <laughs> As my kids would say, rip. Okay, so at the, so chapter two is more into John's um, history with the town and and his friendship with Tyler, and they go to the tattoo shop and meet all those crazy people and just just oh, yeah. you know just pure is that rednecky racism as you know just just you can't get any more base than that you know is that the interview section though where there's somebody in the background who's sort of just repeating. What the interview? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the weirdest things. I was they, like, oh, they this explain that. Needs help. They explain oh, I, that. They do. I don't remember the explanation. Okay, so I think that we get into that in chapter three, where oh, okay. it says, okay. it says, John's description of his life, and this was the chapter three title, tedious and brief. <laughs> right. So that's just sort of his outlook. Life is tedious and brief, you know, and then it's over. In his in his case, 
he drank cyanide and killed himself yeah, uh, while on the phone with his friend who was like the clerk of the county, this right. woman. So we get into that and that's explained how that happened. So you can't even imagine how horrible it sounded, how horrible it was, how horrible it was for that woman to be on the phone. Yeah, he was saying he was in pain. But of course, I mean, no surprise. You drink cyanide, you're going to be in pain. Horrible. So we find out that Tyler had been over there and he wanted to leave. And John's like, just stay, just stay. And this, we find this is a theme in his life. Just stay with me a little bit longer. He always wants somebody to stay with him. He was very lonely out there, you know, with his mom with dementia. And he was just always wanting like a human connection. But Tyler was like, I got a, I got a girlfriend with a baby on the way. Like I got to go home. So he drinks cyanide and kills himself. Well, now Brian comes to the funeral and he's talking to Tyler. And when he's talking to Tyler, Tyler's uncle is behind him. And he's the one shouting out like every third word. That's the uncle? He's the uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he he did. He hisses He He called him. And I said, hi. He said, hi. And I said, how you doing? He said, how you doing? Oh, it was, I mean, oh God, it drove me crazy. Okay. Well, he has since passed away, but uh, I I just recently read that. But um, what the problem with him was, and I just found it to be just another Southern character that to me didn't strike me as anything because I'm so used to these (laughs) Southern characters in my life. That's not true. It is true. It is true. So I think it's so funny that like, I was just going to gloss over that, but that you really caught onto it. Cause I'm like, that's nah, one of the most memorable parts for me is that character. I did think like, he wow, appears this in is, two this episodes. This is a great show. This is a great, you could turn this into a show. I mean, I guess they are turning it into a film. I got to find out who's going to play that part. I want to go up for that part. Okay. Ah, I, I okay. Wait, listen. <laughs> so let me tell you why he sounds yes, like I'm that. Sorry, okay. Sorry. Go, go, go. Okay. He, they said, had had a, and I didn't necessarily hear this the first time around, but I heard it the second time. He had had been shot in the head in some sort of meth situation. I don't know if it was a robbery or he accidentally shot himself, but it was a crystal meth situation. And he, (laughs) that's going to be the name of my new band, the crystal meth situation. Well, and and that's my drag name. Anyway, <laughs> he had had some sort of crystal meth situation. There was something, some crystal methy. TM, I'm trademarking that. So, <laughs> and he had somehow got shot in the brain and it caused himself a brain injury. Now, he understood everything that was happening, but his brain wouldn't process to let him speak like he wanted. So, instead of just if Tyler speaking and him saying, oh, yeah, that's what happened. He had to do what you're doing, which is mm. scream out the few words he could get. Sort of in a tourette sort of a way. Yes. And I think that's so funny because I was just like, yeah, that's a Southern character <laughs> for you. That's the South. I have never, I mean, when, I, when you hear that, I was like, oh, that is fun. Now you had to turn it into like a sympathy thing. Um, oh, yes and no. I mean, it was a crystal meth situation. And so maybe it's not so sympathetic. I don't know. But he did eventually uh, die of cancer. And I only saw that because before I got on with you, I was just doing like, you know, what's happening with Tyler now or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Tyler did with his fourth baby mama have a son. So And he's married to that woman. So we had the three girls with two or three different women by the time he was 23 and then, because as the as of the recording of the podcast in around 2015, 2016, 
He was 23 and had the three children. Oh, right. Because it, it came out in 2017, so it had to have been recorded. And he had a new baby boy. Right. right. And, it was, and now he's married to that woman still, as far as I can uh, tell. Who knows? We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Tyler. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Okay, we're back. All right, Doug, we're talking about S-Town. Let's talk about Tyler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tyler is John's best friend, uh, sort of like a son. And John is trying to help him because he's stuck in this terrible town and he's trying to help him. They're best friends. Right. Tyler says they're best friends. He knows that maybe John is gay and he's like, doesn't bother him. He doesn't care. He actually sees John... Uh, as a father figure and a friend, but also somebody who has a lot that can help him. Right. And he helps him a he, lot. He lets he pays him to tattoo him $100 an hour when he's already fully tattooed just to, just so he can earn the money. Right, right. So there's a, yeah. a reason for him to give Tyler money. And right. he, Tyler knows John's mother, mm-hmm. mama. You mama. know, like he, he really becomes sort of a fixture in this guy's life. Yeah. And it's, I think, uh, very sad. I don't think Tyler, you know, I think Tyler probably his whole life lives with regret. Like, well, I didn't go over there. But we learn with we learn with John, but this is a pattern where anybody that leaves him, he's just clinging to any person because right. he's so lonely out there and he doesn't feel like anybody can understand him or be as smart as him. So at least he's trying to impart some wisdom on the rednecks of the town is kind of mm-hmm. how he sees it, right? So chapter four is entitled, if anybody could find it, it would be me. So now we get into the discussion of the treasure. The gold. The gold. Now we are only in chapter four of seven of this. And think about all that we've talked about in this guy's life. And now we're talking about a treasure of gold. So everybody in town knows that John B. has this gold and he's hidden it all over his property. And Tyler thinks somewhere along the lines, like he left me a hint like, I know he gave me a clue. I just right. have got to figure it out. And they said that if you did a Google image search of the top of that property, you would see nothing but holes where Tyler had gone all around trespassing, digging, digging holes. Yes. I have a question about this gold. Okay. At the same time, we have now heard from several people that John, I don't know what the word, not made gold, but he was smelting or he was dumped, doing something that's very dangerous with mercury and he's burning it and he's like creating gold leaf for people on their clocks. This gold, what did they ever talk about where this supposed gold comes from? They just said that anytime he had extra money, he would buy these tiny bricks of gold. And Tyler, oh, they did talk about, okay, and Tyler had actually that. seen these tiny, tiny bricks. Now, when you Ingrits. think of brick of gold, you think about like a brick. Like right. something big, like a brick shaped. But Tyler described it more like, you know, two inch by one inch, like small. Right. I think they, that an ingot, I-N-G, isn't that an I-N-G-O-T? Isn't that a gold ingot? I'm going to say, if you say it, Doug, I'm going to say it's true. I'm Googling. I'm All right, Googling. My, single, my, my assistant, Googleina. 
uh, a gold ingot. Oh no, a gold bar. Gold bar. How many ounces are in an ingot? Is it I N G O T? Yeah, but I think an ingot is what we would call a gold bar. Okay, and it's small. No, the gold bar is four hundred ounces. Jeez, that's a lot. Okay, well, the way Tyler described it is they were small. Right, they so would not, like fit in the yeah. palm of your hand. Right, a gold bar is twenty five pounds. So these were. <gasps> Considerably smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was buying these little pieces of gold, and he kept saying, like, when I die, all of y'all are going to get these mm-hmm. little bars of gold. So I really do think that the the one of the sad, um, of, of the millions of sad things, one of the saddest things is that he got so upset that night that he drank the cyanide and killed himself. And he did it so dramatically that he didn't have a will, and he hadn't left anybody a map to the gold. So I think that Tyler wanting to go over and get the things that belonged to him, which was shown maybe didn't belong to him, these two buses that they had filled right. with lumber and all these things to make a home. Tyler, I think, thought, if I can just get them off the property, I bet the gold is there. I bet he left it in there for me. Oh, you were thinking, okay, because the way they sell it to us or the way the way it was framed um, is that he was also protecting the stuff from John's family uh-huh. who had descended who had not seen John nor his mother in a long time. The mother's, you know, now in a nursing home, or whatever, um, or in the hospital. And Tyler was afraid that the family was just going to come in and steal everything away. Right. Because they seemed only concerned about the items and the money and the gold and whatever, and not really concerned about John and his family. So I, I thought Tyler, I didn't connect Tyler wanting the gold with taking as much stuff away as possible. I conflated it with like, oh, he's wants to make sure this nasty family that's coming in doesn't get the stuff. Right. Uh, yes. And also with him digging the holes all around the maze, mm-hmm. trying to find it, was so interesting. Like yeah. he's like, okay, now I've got it. Because he helped build that maze. And right. he knew there was like, what, 62 ways for it mm-hmm. to work and one way for it and not what, to work. Exactly. So of course, in my mind, I'm like, put it together in the way that it doesn't work. And it's and in that section, you know? Well, like, he got a metal detector thing about the Yep. So, and he would I go mean, over there at night yeah. when he knew nobody was there and listen to the police scanner to be sure he wasn't going to get caught. So right. he, wasn't, he wasn't doing it completely lawfully at all. And- you know, you feel so much for Tyler and then you feel like all these felonies against him for trespassing and all these things that he did. Like, why does John B's family care about the two school buses full of crap that don't run? To me, I'm like, get it off your hands. But well, I guess because the, in- the picture painted is that they're just money hungry. They want everything. Right. But even the gold nipple rings that, that are on the dead body. Remember, she's like, well, mm-hmm. maybe I want them. I want to dig them up. Yeah. That was fascinating about the nipple rings. It was fascinating and nauseating. It was because, all the 80s, all the gerunds. It was, right. no, it was gross. Because Brian spoke to Rita. We spoke to, Brian spoke <laughs> to Rita, the aunt, and said, now why would you want them? And she was like, you know, I've just had people die. And you never have anything of theirs. And I don't know. And maybe I was going to give them to his mother. And she, he was like, you're going to give his mother his <laughs> nipple rings? Like, well, they're what? Gold. She said, they're gold. And then the... um the guy had said, no, actually, uh, Tyler said, I'm the one that put them in over and over and over. They're brass. They're brass. We don't, you don't make them out of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would know. I mean, that's his profession. So, Wait, you know, but wouldn't brass make your nipples turn green? If you put in earrings, don't they turn green if they're not gold? Isn't that how you can 
spot like fake gold from real gold? I'm, I I don't know, but that's what I seem to remember. So maybe Somebody- it's like gold plated on the top and then brass yeah. on the inside. Um, mm-hmm. We will have to Google up what could do you, they make. Could you Google Lena that one? I, I think will not going to Google. I don't want that on my search history. <laughs> but I think if you wear, I think when people say like, uh-oh, that turned out it was fake gold, it's because they turned green. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that like if you have earrings that are gold plated, like I have some right now, I haven't taken them out in weeks. It is never oh. turning anything green because they're like gold plated. Because it's actual gold. Because it's gold. Yeah. You made a face like that's gross. Look, they're fine. <laughs> they're it's, fine. Yeah. It's, I know. It's not like a bra. Like you, you can. <laughs> Ew. You can. Okay. I'm showering. I'm cleansing. <laughs> All right. Not like a bra. Um, so we go into chapter five and we're touching on Rita. So Rita and Charlie. Now, Rita and Charlie are fascinating. This is the aunt and uncle. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is uh, Mary Grace, the grandma. Mary Grace is, I guess, her niece and nephew. So this would be um, John B.'s first cousin. So around the same age, I would imagine, like in their 60s or whatever. And because they've retired. And when he talks to her, you don't get the sense that she's like money grubbing crazy. You get the sense that she's like... God, you got this 89-year-old woman. He's kept her in the house all these years. And once she got out of that house, she's going to Gatlinburg to look at the leaves change. Oh, yeah. She's going out playing bingo with her friends. Like, she Mm -hmm. was just in a dark room. And he's bringing her home little Caesar's pizza. And there's no TV. And getting away and living somewhere else has really sort of improved her life, which I thought was super interesting. And Rita won't say where she lives, but... She says that she thinks that Tyler from day one was only after his money and was going to scourge everything out of that house. And the title of chapter five is nobody will ever change my mind about it. So Rita versus Tyler, what's your thought? After you heard Rita actually speaking and the meetings that she had with Brian Reed at the Best Western and in the parking lot of the court, what's your, I mean, what you really hurt her side, which is literally Tyler's exact story, but opposite. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like they had the negative to each other's film. I just, I don't know. I, maybe it's because we got to know Tyler by then that I immediately mistrusted everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't know that that, that's why I'm like a, probably a terrible juror or whatever is like, I felt emotionally connected to him. And so I was skeptical of everybody else. Okay. All right. I think uh, when she said about the nipple rings, the, the, the mortician said she couldn't have them. And she said, why not? And he said, well, we just couldn't get them out, so I'm not going to give them to you. And she was like, I think he stole them. I, you know, and Brian Reed said, yeah, but I mean, okay, if he said he couldn't get them off, she goes, he's dead. He could have ripped his nipples off is what he said. I was like, Brian Reed's like, I got to go back to that. Like, really? Like, why would you say that? She's like, that's just what I was thinking. And I was like, oh my God, Rita, you had me and then you lost me. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. We were, we heard all we kept hearing from Tyler and, and I guess from other people that, that they spoke to, that the family was only, anybody related to this guy was only after potential money and things like that. And that that was not his wish. His wish was that stuff would go to Tyler, according to Tyler and, and the other guy. That You're right. That's the problem. Yeah. It's only according to Tyler, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. So Tyler gets hit with all sorts of uh, 
felonies and things for stealing all that. Which you know the, the, the thing about the two cars that he sold and signed John B's name. Now, all the stuff at the property I can find. But the taking the two cars that were in John B's name and forging his name like right after he died and selling them. I totally forgot about that. That was shady. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I'm back with Doug Beaton. We're talking about S-Town. So we're getting into the last two chapters of S-Town. So chapter six, and this is what I think I'm going to be very fascinated to hear your take on this. Chapter six, title is, Since Everybody Around Here Thinks I'm Queer Anyway. So this whole chapter involved him, what you described earlier as something maybe he didn't want to be put out there, Mm -hmm. that of his sexuality, and he would say all the time, I'm 70% queer. Queer was his word that he used. And he used the slur that starts with an F used for a gay man. He used these words a lot, but he was very loquacious. He used just like harsh, profane words kind of to get his point across all the time, like shock and awe. And we get a really long conversation with this guy named, was it Olin or Owen? I couldn't quite tell. Oh, I think Olin. Olin. Because I remember thinking, oh, is that a Norwegian name? That's what I remember thinking. Like Olin Mills. Well, he seemed like the perfect match for John B. Didn't you think? The way he was. Well, he was attracted. I mean, he was, they they had an actual connection. He was attracted to him. He thought he was a genius. He thought he was... Loved talking to him for hours and hours, hours on the phone. And he was, and and Olin was really well spoken. He's a he was a nurse, is that right? Yeah, but he had been like a a translator, like a Russian translator right, in the right. army before that. So to and me, that they met on a chat line, a phone right, which chat I did, line. I'd never heard of such. Oh yeah, I, I mean that's I guess maybe I'm dating myself, but absolutely, there used to be these phone lines that I would call in, you would call in and you would just record like a brief intro. Mm-hmm. And then if I want, if I heard your intro and I thought it's like the original swiping left or right. If uh-huh. I liked what you had to say, I would press the button and then it would give us a different number to dial in and connect. And it would be a private chat just us but on the phone. Okay. Are you paying for this service? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. So they meet on a chat line and they, and they like each other. And he is from Birmingham, which, you know, in the respects to um, Alabama would be a little bit of a more progressive city where, you know, as Brian Reed would say, at least you could go out to dinner with another man, sit and have a drink and right. it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be too scandalous. Whereas like in Woodstock, there wasn't even a bar you could go and meet up. And if a man and a man went and met up for a cup of coffee, it would be scandy. <laughs> yeah. 
So I loved that Brian Reed sat and with hours and hours and I had two long interviews with him. And Olin is like my friend Mary, who had a distinctive remembrance for dates. So he remembered Mary Grace's exact birthday. He remembered John B.'s parents' mm-hmm. anniversary. My friend Mary is the same. She can give you the birth dates of all my nieces and nephews. Where people just, like, I can't even tell you that. Right. Some people have that. So that's to me why they were such, like, compatible. Like, they were both, like, a little bit genius in their own way. Right. And, and he was able to see through many of these quirks that John had. And he sounded, or at least comes across, as patient mm-hmm. and, you know, like I'm saying, okay, well, it'll be worth it'll be worth all of these things because we have an actual connection. Yeah, and it was just heartbreaking because, as it is with anybody, uh, dies of suicide. You think I could have done this, I could have been closer, I could have called him one more time. You know, everybody, of course, around the suicide victim brain blames themselves. Of you know, and he doesn't necessarily blame himself, but he thinks like. I didn't even know that he died, you know? Right, I mean, it was right. really, really sad. So I thought that was interesting. But he did say at the end of the day, he couldn't see pursuing a relationship with him because he was so profane and so vulgar and would get so wrapped up in like climate change. He was like, I just can't right. listen to you curse about climate change or shit town one more day. Right. And then the you know? sort of in the larger picture, he was, you know, John was saying, I'm trapped in this town. The environment is all about being trapped in shit town and, and the in the climate change and Olin was saying he he just couldn't listen to it anymore because John felt stuck and Olin was saying well then just get out of it Make, just, just you, know, you have a lot of money you can leave right you can leave you can fix it you can change and John couldn't hear it he just could not internalize that direction and so Olin was sort of fed up and then, then we heard another story about another young guy, Michael Fuller, who was on, he was on the list of people that John wanted contacted when he died. Right. And he was, looked him up. He was this young guy that he had mentored like he was with Tyler. And he had described Michael Fuller as coming from a good family, but had gotten into partying and drugs and whatever. And then at the end of the day, he lived in this horrible apartment in New York City with no bathroom and look what he made of his life, you know. I couldn't help him. Well, Brian Reed gets in touch with him and turns out that he lives, he goes, if he pays $1,800 a month and he's getting a bargain because he's got a three bedroom apartment (laughs) with a bathroom and a wife and a couple of kids. Right. And I found it like Tyler, Michael was like, he was my peace. He was my comfort. He was such a great friend. He helped me through my rough times. Like he had nothing but wonderful things to say. And he said, you know, he never told me he was gay and he never like made a move on me. But yeah, I'm sure he was. And I wouldn't care, but we never talked about it. Right. It was more of a, a paternal. Pattern, yeah. A pattern emerged in that John would become sort of infatuated with these guys. And, you know, again, there was this this power dynamic difference that John had money or had means and he was helping these people out. And we learn now with with a few people that the minute these guys sort of got their own life, a girlfriend or a wife or whatever, you know, John would sort of disappear and retreat. um, And they no longer, he would no longer kind of shepherd them in the same way. And we found that same story with a good friend that he opened a nursery with in town, 
a very good friend that was a woman, the original clerk of the town, said he was very involved. He was never negative. He loved the town. She talked about like the turnip festival, like mm-hmm. all that stuff, very hometowny, and he loved all of it. And she was a part, he was a part of their family. He was on the door measuring the height of the kids. Right, right. But once she married her husband, he couldn't take it. And then they ended up in like in a lawsuit over $2,000 with a mulch or something crazy. And she said, I think he just wanted me to write the check and bring it to him in person for the money I owed him because I think he just wanted to see me. Yeah, a And it's just really, really sad because it seems like he's like one of the friends I had in high school that could only have one friend at a time, mm-hmm. right? One best friend and that's it. And so, now, you did know. Did it make you think at all about, and maybe it's just because I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but it reminded me of when Richard Simmons all of a sudden disappeared and all these theories about why he disappeared. And somebody was saying like, you know, um, it, it's not that one particular thing happened, but like he couldn't give of himself anymore. And so he just wanted to retreat and be alone and be by himself. And there were all these sort of theories that like he had hurt himself or he was going to hurt himself. And it, it made me think about that, the way John would just retreat and sort of cut people out and disappear on his own accord so that he would control the story, you know, be about mm-hmm. what he did. Wouldn't He couldn't blame it on somebody else. But that, it did make me think about this, a similar end from listening to that earlier Richard Simmons podcast. You know, it's funny you said that because I was going to tell you that in reading some of these articles before we talked, there was comparison to this podcast and Missing Richard Simmons. Oh, really? In, in that it seemed to be an exploitation of someone's life uh, against their wishes, right. you know. Oh, oh, I see. Well, I mean, in this case, I mean, Richard Simmons could have talked to Dan Tabersky and didn't want to, and right, that's his right, choice. Right. And it was interesting. Brian Reed said many times, like, um, lots of people told me these stories, so I am telling something that John told me off the record, but other people told me this on the record as well. Right. So you know, and then we go into the story about the guy that was his yard man that he had the relationship with. That to me was very clear when Brian interviewed the yard man that they had had a physical romance. Yeah, right, yes. And, and sense. the yard man didn't want to say it because his wife kept lurking around. Right. They and he was sense. saying, mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> right, and not answering. Because he had told Brian about that guy. And Brian said, I have him on the record and I have lots of other people on the record saying that this did happen, right? But when I interviewed the guy, I don't want to play what he said, but this is what he said. Right. So probably that's where maybe they were able to pull a lawsuit because he did say he never spoke to me this on the record. Right. And and in fact yeah. he said I it's not not only did he not say it on the record, he expressly said he didn't want this discussed. Just it was, you know, it was interesting when they were in the car that time and he had him press the recording off and he told him about some gay people in town yeah. and things that he knew. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But Brian never said that. He goes, well, he's dead now. So he told me that these two guys are lovers. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't go into any of that. No. And and listen, Brian was so moved by this story. I mean, he cries in two of the episodes. He's crushed when, when he kills himself. And, and he is really invested in it, I believe, at least. Yeah. That, that I, I don't believe he would want to harm John or the memory of John. So that, you know, it is true though. He does, technically, he does exploit. He does reveal stuff that John said he didn't want revealed. And he kind of has a good way around it, which is that other people corroborated it. So that's how he could say it. But I, I still believe that his intention 
was not of, of ill will or anything like that. Yeah, I think the whole thing about telling about these relationships was just sort of give us a more rounded picture of John. And he wasn't just this, he was nice and then he wasn't. And then they come to discuss a lot about the mercury inhalation of this mercury Mm -hmm. that no clockmakers do it. And even the one guy that sat with him one time said he could like feel it and taste it and was coughing it up. Yeah, he got sick. And, and he, John and, was doing it with no mask on all, all the, the time. time. I mean, all the time. Yeah. The, and and so he definitely was doing a lot of behavior that would make somebody sick. And then didn't we hear that that inhaling that mercury powder can make you suicidal? It can make mm-hmm. you feel crazy. It can make you all these things. Well, so, I thought you would think it was interesting that they explained that that term mad as a hatter yes. came from inhaling that mercury, which is the same thing John was doing. Didn't you think it was an Alice in Wonderland your whole I, life? I did think it was Alice in Wonderland, and but it's I've not. heard I heard an episode of my favorite murder one time where it was these women working from the you know nineteen hundreds working in a factory, and it was uh, some sort of element they were using that they would call them the glow girls because when they would leave, they would glow from the from, and they died from it. But it was like cool at the time. Yeah, like the Tin Man. The actor, remember yeah. the actor who played, played the Tin Man? Yeah, it's cool at the time. So I think this mercury poisoning is similar, mad as a hatter, because these things they would use for the pins and the hats, same thing that you would use for these clocks. So it seems to it seems to be explained that his more and more erratic behavior over the years was caused by inhaling this sort of constantly. Though even one time was making somebody sick, and he was doing it weekly for however many years. And then another thing that was so sweet was when we went and talked to his um, first professor that he had, and he told him, like, in 1986, I'm going to build you your own sundial. Mm -hmm. And he gave it to him in 2013. That's how long it took? Wait, Or 2005 or something? It was, like, 20 years it took to make it. I think. uh, I thought he started in, like, 1985. He did. And he finished in like 2005. Yeah, yeah. And that was a heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Crying about it and explaining it and how like he hid it so Brian couldn't see it until he was like really ready to show it to him. And he cried and said, This is my most prized possession. And it took him two years to make a, a sundial that would be exactly with the guy's name and all the clocks they they were describing in his house. I mean, unbelievable. So that's why I do, I do, I love that you shared that article with me because there were so many pictures. So I really, I appreciate that. I, I encourage everyone to to look um, while you listen. Yeah, and so t- chapter seven is the last chapter, and it's entitled "You're Beginning to Figure It Out Now, Aren't You?" Which uh, he John says in one of his manifestos, and it's about climate change and all that. But ironically, no, we're not figuring it out at the end, like. I think at the end, we got a, such a well-rounded picture of him with his relationships and the people that he touched, like that professor and the people that he helped, Michael Fuller and Tyler, and how much he did love his mom. But, I mean, he was just like a single guy who didn't know how to take care of his mother. So he didn't do a great job at that, but he did the best he could and um, and his brain and how smart he was. So I think that we got such a well-rounded picture of what he was. And then all that stuff at the end that came about the mercury poisoning, you're like, ah, that's what did it. That's what sort of right. sent him over. That's why he was stuck in his brain, like repeating the same thing. And like, I can't leave well, this place. And I'm just going to repeat, repeat, repeat till, till it pushes everybody away. And you, and you and I have discussed this before. It's like, we're always looking as logical people. We're always looking for something to attribute 
something crazy that, you know, so it's like that helped us because that's like, oh, it all fits into place. Whether or not it's true, we don't know, but it's like it at least gives us something appropriate to pin that whole narrative on. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the end, you know, like I said, I, I looked it up and I didn't realize it had won a Peabody, but it certainly deserves it. And, oh my God, you know, yeah. I knew it had been out for like two years and never fallen off the top 200, but it, it, sometimes you'll look and all of a sudden it bob back up to top 20 and you're like, I wonder why, you know, like, well, your podcast oh. <laughs> is going to bring it right back up to the top oh, and maybe even a Grammy because I'm telling you, I love that music. Love it. Yep. So beautifully done. Yeah. Just like Serial. So beautifully, perfectly yeah, done. Yeah. It's really elevated podcast to the reason that I love podcasts with the storytelling and you just get it in your mind. And I never go really and look anything up until after I'm done. Because like, if I had the picture in my mind of what John looked like the whole time, I may have thought of it differently, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. So if somebody asks you, Doug, what is the next podcast I could listen to? Would you say S-Town? Oh, I've recommended this already to yeah. at least a dozen people. So yeah, I say listen to S-Town. Well, I really want to thank you as always for discussing oh, this flesh. with me today. And that, like I said, as I listened to it again and found like, I would, I would encourage you to like wait a few months and listen again. And then you'll hear the thing about why the brother, the uncle screams out like, shit, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Guns. I have, you know? I have a, a long airplane a couple of months from now. I have like a 13 hour airplane trip. So maybe I'll, I'll re-download it and uh, listen to it again. Cause it really is like, I heard so much. And then what shocked me so much, like I said, was that, he does die right at the beginning of the podcast. And in my right. mind, it was like right at the end. And then we got this stuff. But no, it was right at the beginning. Well, because so, also they play a lot of audio. Even after he's dead, we hear him some alive. of the yeah. audio of him you know, before he killed himself. Yeah, bless. And Tyler said when he listened to it, he would just sit in his room and cry. And his wife would come and check on him. Because yeah. he'd be crying hearing his friend's voice, you know? Yeah, for Terrible. sure. No, thank, thank you so much for recommending this. Because this was really good. Now... Do you, are you listening to any other podcasts you want to talk about? Um, not at the You moment. just wait for me to tell you. I wait. You, you say, <laughs> listen to this, and then I listen to it. That's pretty much how it works. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to start thinking of a new one. Let me tell you one that I've just been listening to that I'm hoping to interview them soon. It's called Mob Queens. Okay. And it's about the it start of the drag queens in New York City was started by this woman, Anna, Anna Genovese, or Genovese, who was married to one of the head of the mob families. Yeah, the Genovese. Genovese. So she yeah. was married to the head of that mob family. Oh, wow. And she's the one that started the whole drag queen scene in New York City. Wow. And it's about her and how she got on the stand, like testified against her husband's like, fuck this guy. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's about the mob and also about drag queens. Oh man. It is done by a guy who did uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, mm -hmm. um, a producer, and then or a writer, and then the woman who wrote uh, the movie Bring It On. So fantastic! Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm hoping to interview them soon. So I'll recommend that one to you. We can't talk about it because I'm going to talk to the podcaster, but I'm going to come up with another one. Okay. All right. Tell everybody where they can find you, Doug Buden, in our ears and on our social media. On social, I'm on Instagram at Doug Buden. Uh, do drop by and say hello. <laughs> and you can hear me on Jeff Lewis Live on Radio Andy, Sirius Channel 102, um, some mornings. And why don't you come on by and give a listen to that too? It's the greatest show. I love that show. I'm so happy. It's like actually five days a week now. We it gives fun. me so much happiness. 
Yeah. And today today was a particularly funny show. Today's guest was um, Jackie Schimmel. Excuse has... me, that's my friend. Oh, really? Yeah, love me some Jackie Schimmel. Oh my God, she is hysterical. She's she's probably the, the quickest, funniest person you'll ever meet. I loved her. She sat to my left and the two of us giggled through the whole hour. She's great and she um, she's going to be a big star. Did oh, she yeah. tell you that her husband is like a... Pretty famous record producer. Yeah, like record producer. We, one, yeah, we, one Direction, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I have yeah. to listen back to see what we said on air versus what we said during commercial break because I don't want to repeat something I'm not supposed to. But I did love Jackie Schimmel. I was so, so happy to meet her. She's been on my podcast, but you should go and listen to recently. John Hill was on her podcast. Oh, yeah. And she had him call her grandmother Gloria who she just relentlessly oh, she, me- she mentioned that they prank call they did a prank call but she prank calls her all the time Gloria still never gets it like she always like oh my gosh this guy called me and she's like oh my god so when I talked to John Hill in New York a few weeks ago I asked him about it and I was like oh that Jackie's so funny he goes I had literally met her seven minutes before and she had me prank call her grandmother yeah. He was like, I, I didn't, you know. I met her in the elevator. It was, uh, no, she was, she was great. So that today's show is really, really funny. Oh, but, yay. But please, everybody do listen. Listen to the Jeff Lewis live show on Sirius XM. Find Doug on social media. Find me on social media at Pain in the Pod. And listen to S-Town and let me know. And also, listeners, if you're listening to anything great, always please let me know because I, I'm always scourging and looking, but sometimes I miss things. So let me know if you have anything you want me to listen to. And as always, thanks. And you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash pain in the pod. Thanks.